Today's reading is from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not know what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Good morning, friends. Pastor Sharon here with you this morning. We have been together in a series, one part of it which Riley just read, from the book of 1 John called Genuine Community. As we learn together what it means to live as Jesus did with, with Christ and with each other. And this morning we're very privileged to have a guest speaker with us. I am delighted to introduce her to you. Chitra Hanstead is the Executive Director of World Relief Seattle. We have partnered with World Relief Seattle in, in ways in the past. One of their goals is to empower the local church so that we could together serve refugees and immigrants in the greater Seattle area. And I'm especially delighted to introduce Chitra to you because she is my sister-in-law, married to my brother, and I feel even greater joy and pride in having her with us this morning. Good morning, Pine Lake Covenant Church. Good morning. Thank you. Happy Father's Day and Happy World Refugee Day. I remember attending this church 30 years ago when my brother-in-law, Don Robinson, was pastor here. And then again for weekly women's Bible studies, um, we attended um, Emerald City Bible Fellowship in Seattle. And I found out that you guys had weekly women's Bible studies with free child care. So our whole church would carpool over all the way over to Issaquah. Do you remember that, Sharon? And now I have the privilege of being here with my dear sister-in-law, Sharon Anderson, as a pastor. So it truly feels like being home. Thanks for having me. Loving God and loving people. In short, that is the essence of our faith. In this passage from 1 John that was so beautifully read, we are challenged by an old disciple who's probably the last in his generation of those that walked with Jesus and saw his life. He warns us to keep away from sin that so easily entangles us, not because of judgment, but because it limits the freedom that we can enjoy in Christ. Sin also keeps the focus on us and isolates us from others. Instead of pursuing sin, John encourages us to pursue the lifestyle that Jesus lived. This led me to ask, how exactly did Jesus live? What are we imitating Many of us would be um, quick to say, including me, that we're not Jesus, and therefore this task is way too big. John understood that, and that's why he prefaces this admonition with a promise that when we miss the mark, Jesus is there to advocate for us, to whisper in God's ear, this child, they are my own. 
I've already paid the price for them. They belong in relationship with us. The promise of our very own advocate should encourage us to step forward boldly and imitate the life of Jesus. So what are the characteristics of a life that Jesus lived when he was here on this earth? Let me just share five quick observations about the life of Christ. First, Jesus was intimately connected to his Father in heaven. The beginning of the book of 1 John, it talks about God being with Jesus during the beginning of time, during creation. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit were together through creation. They were in community already. When Jesus came to the earth, he knew that without a relationship with his Father, he could do nothing. He regularly checked in with God to gain strength, for advice, to share his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, and to plead for mercy. If Jesus needed that type of connection to God, how much more do we? A life lived like Jesus needs to be connected to our loving, godly parent in heaven. Second, Jesus lived in community with ordinary people from ordinary backgrounds. He chose 12 disciples to live with him in this community, very close circle of close-knit family. For three years of his public ministry, Jesus was seldom alone. For introverts like me, that's kind of a little scary. (laughs) He not only had the 12, but we see that he had accumulated deep friendships in every place he traveled. I think that the years between 12 and 30, the years that the Bible is silent about Jesus' life, he was investing in friendships. The family of Lazarus, the folks that invite him into their upper rooms for meals, the 70 disciples that are sent out two by two. He had built a network of relationships for many years that came in handy during those days when he left his career as a carpenter to become an itinerant preacher of the good news. Jesus calls us to be the salt of the earth. In that passage, when he says, you are the salt of the earth, that's using the plural, the collective you. One grain of salt is not going to make much of a difference to enhance the taste of your meal. But when we get all those grains of salt together and shake it all over the community that we're part of, then we can season the world around us. The life of a Christian is made to be lived out in community because we're stronger together, we're more loving together, and we're more powerful together for the sake of the kingdom. When we live a life that is filled with grace, overflowing with love, and seeking justice, people will notice. A life lived like Jesus can only be lived out in community. Third, Jesus lived a life of service to mentor those who were in his circle of friends through his actions. Jesus lived a life of service. Yes, he taught people with his words, but more often he showed them how to do the work of the kingdom. Many years ago, I heard a story from a covenant missionary. She used to be stationed in Ethiopia during the civil war of the late 1970s. 
She described a situation where many people were being evacuated and she watched at a border where a young man was being beaten brutally by a border guard. She was horrified and she ran around trying to find someone to help, pleading her case and urging people to look over at the incident unfolding. While she was desperately trying to advocate for justice on this man's behalf, she saw an old man walk over to that young man who was being beaten. He leaned down, got down on his knees, and covered the young man's body with his own and took the blows from the guard's baton on his own back. Jesus lived his life like that old man. He didn't make declarations, but he took decisive action. He showed his disciples the way of life through words and actions. His kindness, his gentleness, and tenderness spoke more loudly than any sermon. A life lived like Jesus is a life that has impact, that is outwardly focused and puts itself in harm's way for others. Fourth, though he was the son of God, Jesus humbled himself to ask for help and show others that he needed them. One of the best things about growing up as an Indian is my culture's connection to community, our need for community, and the fact that that community often included amazing food. (laughs) As a kid growing up in India, I remember our street in Chennai. I knew every auntie and amachi grandmother in each of the homes up and down the block. When I didn't like what my amachi was cooking for dinner, I would just wander down the street and see what others were eating. If I did something naughty, every auntie from one side of the street to the other would give me a piece of their mind. (laughs) I imagine that in the Jewish culture of Jesus' day, That must have been the way he grew up. At Christmas, Amachi and I would make batter for our Christmas cake. And because most um, homes in those days didn't have ovens, we had to make um, an appointment at Whitefield Bakery to bake our cake. We'd carefully transport the batter in a rickshaw. Um, And then Christmas morning, we would make a huge portion of rice and lentils and feed all the people that begged on our street, the rickshaw drivers, the lepers, on banana leaves. And only after we fed those in our community who were hurting did we sit down to our own Christmas meal. When cultures like mine, embedded and steeped in community, are transported and transplanted in a country like the United States, that fiercely protects and loyally values individualism, there's often a culture clash. Often the second generation of that culture adopts and assimilates to the values of the host culture. And I feel that way even about our our church, our American church. The culture that Jesus grew up in was very different from our culture now. But often even our church Churches have interpreted scripture to fit into our narrative of our culture. Faith becomes a personal relationship, a personal theology that's only between us and God. Many of the worship songs that we sing are about us. And um, we skirt around the communal aspects of faith 
communal, communal care for those on the margins, communally sharing of life's sorrows and joys, communal accountability, and communally working out our faith with respect. We conveniently sometimes disregard those things. But the early church knew how to live that out. The children's pastor talked about the um, miracle at Pentecost. And that church, after so many were added to it, they pooled all their resources so no one would go without. The scripture tells us to imitate Jesus' life. I imagine that even in the days of Jesus, there were those that live isolated lives, like the tax collector Zacchaeus. Yes, Jesus spent the majority of his time with the marginalized, the poor, the disregarded. But he also spent time with those who were wealthy. Zacchaeus was a despised tax collector who was notorious for extortion, violence, and greed. And yet, Jesus called him by name and centered him amongst a crowd of those he exploited. And then Jesus does something really unusual. He asks Zacchaeus for help. He says, can I come to your home? Zacchaeus is so confronted and grieved by his exploitation in the presence of Christ's grace. Why does Jesus spend time with both extremes? Because he knows that transformation cannot happen unless the hearts of all people are changed. Through love, we must be made aware of our own privilege. Jesus' unconditional love and acceptance of Zacchaeus not only propels him to make amends to those he hurt, but he goes beyond what's expected to repay people four times over and give half of his possessions to the poor. A life that imitates Jesus is one that is humbly lived in relationship with others, needing them at times and helping them at times. Finally, when it came to community, Jesus was all about proximity. A modern-day hero of mine is Brian Stevenson. He's a civil rights lawyer that the movie Just Mercy is about. Some of you might have seen that movie. He says, we must get proximate to suffering and understand the nuanced experiences of those who suffer from and experience inequality. Stevenson believes that if you're willing to get closer to people who are suffering, you will find the power to change the world. Jesus relocated to this earth in order to be proximate with us. He didn't commute back and forth to heaven. He could have. He took on the vulnerabilities and limitations of our skin. We are to, if we're to minister effectively, we must also do the same. If Jesus was here today, I truly believe that he'd care about the 26.4 million fellow humans in our world who live in limbo as refugees, 50% of whom are children. He would care that little girls are being trafficked on the streets of India and are coming from the refugee camps in Nepal. Before I took this job, I worked in anti-human trafficking, and we were living in India. And I wasn't going to share this story, but I just feel the Holy Spirit asking me to share it. 
um, one day we were walking down the sidewalk. One of our one of our partner organizations was in the red light district, the largest in South Asia. And um, as we were walking, it was 11:30 in the morning, right before lunch, and I saw these little. Uh, these women standing there and another older woman kind of positioning them to look more um, sexually appealing, putting lipstick on and swiping blush on these women. And as I got closer, I realized they weren't women, but girls of 10, 11, 12, being sold on the streets during the lunch rush. He would open his heart to their pain. I remember asking Jesus, where are you, Lord? I'm feeling so helpless in that moment. And he said, I'm right here because I'm in you. He would be here to walk alongside them and work to find safe havens for them. Jesus is asking, will you... Will we give out of our abundance of time, treasure, and talent so others can not only survive but thrive? If we are to follow Jesus, we must be proximate to those we want to serve. Jesus lived a life spirit-filled, so spirit-filled that it drew people he met regularly into community. Acts 2, 42 to 46, describes how the believers were supposed to interact. They ate together, shared whatever they had. They had a joyous, good time. The early church lived lives that drew people to them so full of power of the Holy Spirit that it was like a magnet. As Leonard Ravenhill says, you never have to advertise a fire Everyone comes running when there's a fire. Likewise, if our church is on fire, we will not have to advertise it. The community will already know it. Pine Lake Church, my prayer for you is that you will be a church that is saturated by the power of the Holy Spirit, that will continue to imitate the life of Christ by loving God first and loving people. May God bless you. Will you pray with me, please? Dear Lord, there are days that we feel we can't take any more of the pain of the world. I thank you that it's not us, but you in us that have been called to um, reach out to those that are hurting, to solve Um, problems that seem insurmountable but Lord you tell us with the faith of a mustard seed we can move mountains and Lord that is the hope of the good news is it not that you in us can move mountains that you through ordinary people like us can do extraordinary things Father on this world refugee day I just pray that you would be proximate with those in the camps, with those um, who are waiting, waiting for home, waiting for safety. Lord Jesus, 
Won't you use us as your hands and feet? Won't you use our arms to hug, to hold, to show the love, the incredible love that you have for everyone in this world that's hurting? Use us, Lord, to center those on the margins and use us to show your great love to this world. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name.